0: Um, I want to talk to you real briefly uh, a couple of internal things that, uh, you know, if you're visiting uh, or you're new to the church, uh, you may not quite understand, but if you just tolerate it for a bit. Um, When we did our uh, Go Beyond Beyond campaign, a big fundraiser uh, that we did in the spring, it was highly successful, $1.2, $1.5 million, whatever was uh, pledged. It was the first time anything at that level had been done at Celebration Church. And I don't know how many of you remember the message, but I preached a message celebrating it and then warning everybody. says you have to understand this. We've been doing this for a long time. We didn't fall off the turnip truck yesterday. Is that whenever a church does something significant, God starts to do something really powerful in people's hearts and lives. Then the enemy comes rushing in like a flood, trying to stop it. And virtually always what he does is he tries to get people upset about things that normally they wouldn't get upset about or that are pretty small in nature, but yet it becomes big to them. I don't know how many of you remember me warning about that, but I talked about this. Be careful, guard your hearts. Then, of course, (laughs) nobody listens to me. (laughs) And that's exactly what happens a few months later. People are getting upset about this, that, and the other. And someone said something to their kid uh, that they didn't like or didn't smile the way they should have smiled or they didn't like a change with the singers or something like that. And have gotten all mad and upset. And of course, I think Satan just grins from ear to ear that he's so good. You have to understand he's really good at what he does. You know, We're supposed to be aware of it, though. The Bible says... Paul wrote, he said, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. Now, I don't know who he was talking to, because most people I know are incredibly ignorant of his devices. But we're not supposed to be. There are just blatantly obvious things he does, even though warning about it, uh, people still got caught up in it and and got all upset and some have left and some are still disturbed one way or the other. And uh, let me give you a word of advice. When something happens in a church that you don't like. What is supposed to be your response? We're supposed to walk in love. Everybody say love. 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 Everybody, we're supposed to walk in love. Do you know what love is? Let's take a look at the Bible. First, you don't have to look it up. Don't worry about putting it on the screens, guys, but Paul in 1 Corinthians 13th chapter describes what love is. Many of us are familiar with this. They read these at weddings all the time. It wasn't written for weddings. It was written for churches. Uh, And he says, love is patient. You know what it is to be patient? That means if something's not quite right, you wait until it can get right. It's called being patient. Okay, it takes some time. Love is kind, he says. He says it's not easily angered. Well, hello. How you go from love and peace and all of a sudden, boom, your emotions are inflamed. You are clearly being easily angered angered. What's the problem? Quite frankly, you're just not walking in love. Uh, Here he says love keeps no record of wrongs. Oh my goodness. A lot of people, every time somebody hurts you, you write it down on your iPad, man. And and you keep a detailed record and you stamp it. And I remember when they did. And you can tell they're not walking in love because even when they come and talk to us, what's wrong? They rattle off a list of The wrongs, because they keep record of what's wrong. When you're doing that, you're not walking in love. Well, I have some concerns. Okay, some concerns, fine. But when you've got a big list of there's something wrong, it's called not walking in love. Love rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Paul said, "It always trusts." How can I trust? How can I trust? Well, by walking in love. That's what love does. Love trusts. And I've watched some of this over the last few months. You know, first it was, I'm mad because he did this. Okay, some little piddly thing. It wasn't really all that big a deal. And then, well, it's not what he did. It's the way he did it. And then, okay, so how do you deal with that? And if we don't do something in the right way, the response should be love. <laughs> okay, you forgive that's what it means to forgive. When somebody hurts you, you forgive. We just prayed the Lord's Prayer, right? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. What's that mean? People are going to sin against you. Even your pastor. Even other people in the church. People are going to say, do something and that we find offensive. What's the response? To write it down and hang on to it and record it and talk it up? Or do you forgive? Sadly, many people do not forgive. They keep the record, they rehearse the record, and they broadcast the record. Because, not they're, it's not that they're evil, we're not mad at anybody, uh, but they're not walking in love. love uh, so now it's gone from, I, I don't like what he did, well, I just don't like what he did it, and now it's, you know, one of the things running around is, you know, how, you know, how is he accountable? How can I trust him? How can I trust him? Well, it's called love, Love, always, trust. Well, how do I know something terrible won't happen? You don't. Nobody has, there's no guarantee. Nobody, you know, people often want guarantees. How can I know my husband will never cheat on me? You don't. You know, you want to be a lying piece of caca, you can be a lying piece of caca. Some people are really good at it, by the way. They're quite gifted. And they cheat, and that's why it's called cheating. There's no guarantees. You can't get a guarantee on anything. You know, someone pointed out, well, that uh, church down over and such and such, the pastor was doing something inappropriate. How do you know you won't do it? Well, you don't, okay? There's no, there's no system you can put in place to make sure somebody doesn't do something bad. Now, hopefully you're praying for me that I don't do something bad instead of waiting for me to do something bad, right? I would much prefer that than the latter. He's gonna do something bad eventually. I, you know, there are people I know, they've got mad left and they can't wait for me to fall. They're just waiting. They're just waiting on this. He's got to go. He's got to screw up now. I know. I just when there's waiting, and if I fall, they will cheer. They will have parties. Woo! That is not love. Instead of waiting for me to fall, how about you pray that I don't fall? I would greatly appreciate that. Yes. Love always trusts. I can't trust. Oh, how I'm always accountable. That means you don't trust, which means you don't love. I don't hate you. Nobody's mad at you. If you leave the church, and people have left the church over the last four months, even though I predicted this would happen if we don't pay attention, it's exactly what's happened. I'm not mad at them. I forgive them. Okay, but they're not walking in love. And now the fourth reiteration of this thing that's going around, particularly at the East Side campus. I haven't had much. Sorry for the rest of you campuses who have to listen to this. But this over here for some reason is this, you know, you know, I'm not being fed. I'm not being fed. Well, the reason you're not being fed spiritually is because you can't receive. If you don't love your pastor, you can't receive from your pastor. Okay. It's like a toddler who you're trying to feed. Anybody have a toddler? You trying to feed him? You know? Then the toddler later complains he wasn't getting fed. Hello? You he wouldn't open your mouth. When you don't love your pastor, you can't receive from him. Uh, so we don't even defend that. You know, we get a big argument about well we're teaching the word. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we teach, even though we literally teach from the Bible, verse by verse every Sunday. Apparently they're not getting fed, so there's something wrong with me. All of it is tied to the fact that they're not walking in love. Love always trusts it, always hopes it, always perseveres. So it is what it is. If somebody's not walking in love anymore and they can't be here anymore, that's okay. We release you. We love you. God bless you wherever you go. But let's walk in love. First of all, let's be circumspect. Let's be aware. You know, Let's not get all our emotions all crazy about stuff. And love. Love trusts Love believes, love covers a multitude of sins. It's not constantly revealing faults and weaknesses everywhere. Um, and we need to walk in forgiveness. Now, having said that, I have another little housekeeping deal uh, that, that I need to deal with, and that is this. When we came to uh, Green Bay uh, six, seven years ago, whenever it was, we stepped into a situation where the church was in great financial crisis Uh, most of the people i knew who knew about the situation warned me do not go there do not go but i felt we were supposed to come here and we did and god has been with us and it was miraculously turned around there were people again standing on the sidelines cheering and waiting for this thing to fall apart and the fact that it hasn't has actually discouraged a lot of people (laughs) Isn't that lovely, you know? They're just waiting for it to fall. Our death has been prophesied over and over again by so many. Really, this is your version of love. I can't wait till you fall. Um, so um, it, was, it was tough. Uh, and we were at odds with the previous pastor. We weren't attacking, but they were attacking us big time. They were very angry. They were very bitter. They started another church. They caused a lot of dissension here, 250 people from this kind of congregation went over. They left. Uh, they were very angry. Eventually, we had to let everybody go that we had been working for the former pastor. Some of you who are here remember that. Uh, we didn't do it out of bitterness, or anger. I told you then, as I reiterate today, we hold nothing against any of these people. On judgment day, when we're standing before God and Jesus looks at me and says, do you have any problem with any of these people? Did they do anything against you? I will say no. I have a clean slate, I have kept track of no records. Anyway, I received an email from the former pastor a few days ago and I want to read it to you because he said I could. He said, Mark, I want to spend a few moments in this email apologizing to you and the Celebration family. As you are painfully aware, a lot of stuff happened on my departure from Bayside. First, I moved too quickly I put you and your leadership in a very difficult financial position. I was so full of resentment. I was behind birthing another church in the area, which created additional division and pain. I've come to realize that I need to own the whole situation and never again point any accusatory verbiage at you. I am humbly asking for your forgiveness. I guess I could understand if you refuse, but I'm praying that you will find it in your heart to forgive me. You can use this email any way you see fit. Share it with your staff, family, and if you desire, read it to the entire church. Arnie Jacobson. Now, I wrote him back right away and said, Dear Pastor Arnie, uh, there's no need for forgiveness because I hold nothing against you or anyone else. But in as much as you have asked for it, I freely give it. And... uh, I am meeting with him tomorrow night and uh, having dinner with him and I'm going to invite him to come back to Celebration Church and to preach on a Sunday morning uh, either in October, November whenever he gets a free date. You say, why would you do that? Because we're going to love him and when he comes we will respect him we will celebrate him and we will tearfully listen to whatever he has to say with open hearts. You say, how can you trust him? because we're walking in love, because love always trusts. What if he hurts you again in the future? Well, shock and amazement. That happens all the time. What are you gonna do? We will forgive if that happens again. Remember, Jesus said you need to forgive 490 times a day. All right, now thankfully I've had no one ever push that number on me. But, uh, But we will forgive. And we will have him come back, and we will celebrate him, and I'm looking forward to uh, to healing uh, with him and stuff, because I don't want to hold anything against anybody. I don't I just don't think in those terms. So I'm asking you to do what I require of myself, which is to forgive people. If somebody hurts you, you don't write it down. You don't rehearse it. You don't hang on to it. You don't talk it up with your friends. You don't just get all full of bitterness and anger and you can't receive and now you're starving to death spiritually. These are all signs of not walking in love. We need to love people. Christianity 101 is we have to forgive. If you don't forgive, you don't get this. There's a lot of you listening to me right now, I know you struggle with forgiveness. You have a record of every time somebody has hurt you, you keep it alive because you constantly refer to the list. You're mad at this person who that, and that person did that and don't even get me started on my ex-wife and la, 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 la. You're full of poison. I don't know how you sleep at night. Some of you literally are going to die early. You will literally die early and young. Way years before God ever intended for you to die. Just because you're so full of bitterness and anger and stuff I implore you let it go anyone who has offended you or hurt you let it go if I have offended or hurt you I can't imagine that would happen but uh, look I'm in people's faces all the time if you come to celebrate if you've never been ticked off at something I say you're not paying attention All right? it is what it is well, oh, that was inappropriate. That was Yeah, welcome to Mark Gunger's church, okay? It is what it is. You either love it or you hate it. Hopefully, you walk in love. If someone hurts you or offends you or something, let it go. Don't carry all this stuff and you carry all these hurts and... Pains and you walk around like this, and you're just, I don't know, I'm not feeling the joy of the Lord anymore. And I'm, I'm not getting fed. I can't even sit at the table. How can I get fed? I got this thing on my back. You know, and they're walking around miserable. Good Lord, life is too short for that stuff. Let it go. Let go, let God. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. I messed up my iPad. (laughs) What happened? Come back. I know you're here somewhere. There it is. Okay, good. Thank God for the undo button. All right, here we go. (laughs) Moving on. And by the way, uh, you can hear this message online, but it will not be broadcast in the community. We're not going to gloat. I'm not going to, God forbid, you know, I got my problems. See, Pastor, why would you let it go? Because on judgment day, I'm going to need all, this, all the breaks I can get. I don't know about you guys. When I get it, I need all the forgiveness I can handle. You just prayed, forgive me like I forgive other people. And Jesus went on to warn. See, a lot of people don't know that. They think the Lord's prayer and that's all he said. That's not all he said. As soon as he finished telling them the Lord prayer, the very next words out of our Lord's mouth was this. For if you do not forgive other people, God will not forgive you. What do you think is going to happen to you on judgment day? And all of a sudden, guess the, sorry. No forgiveness for you. Where do you think you're going to end up? It's a bad place. You have got to let it go. You have, you don't know what they did to me. It doesn't matter. You've got to let it go. And I will continue to ride this pony until the day I die. All right, moving on. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Now, we are reading the words of Jesus. This is the final week of Jesus' life. He's coming into Jerusalem. He comes into Jerusalem. He's there for a week preaching and teaching until they finally arrest him and kill him. He knows what's coming. He warned his disciples what's coming. He's coming in every day and he's preaching. He's really ticking off the, <laughs> the religious leader. It's like poking a bear with a stick. I mean, he was insulting them constantly. They were so mad. They wanted to go after him. The Bible says they wanted to kill him. They'd been wanting to kill him for some time. But they were afraid of the people because so many people were around him that, you know, this is, it would be mob. It would be insanity. So they would try and catch him alone, but they couldn't catch him alone. What he would do is he'd come into the city in the morning with all these people. Then he'd leave at night. Nobody knew where he was. They couldn't get him until Judas steps up. That was the betrayal. You ever wonder, if Jesus? Judas betrayed Jesus. What did he do? All he did was say, I know where he is. That was the betrayal. I know where he is. I'll show you where he is. And they gave him some silver for it. Why? Because now they could get him. And they did. They came in the middle of the night, found him where Judas said he was, arrested him, took him back, tried him in the middle of the night, which was illegal, and quickly had him on his way to crucifixion the next day before anybody could do anything about it. So anyway, we're reading now this final week, and he's teaching in the temple. He comes in, he teaches, and he leaves. He comes in and teaches until they finally get him. So now we're reading Jesus speaking again in the temple. Uh, Verse 1 says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables. He was telling all these stories. Most people didn't catch what it, but the Bible says the religious leaders knew they were talking about them. He was talking about them. It was really ticking him off. So Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused. Okay, these are the servants, he said. Remember, we were just talking, teaching about servants. What does a servant do? A servant does what he's asked to do. Servants don't come up with long lists of why they don't think they should do what they have to do. All right? Again, people who, don't do, who do that don't walk in love, and they're certainly not being servants. All right, so um, he talks over and over again using the analogy of servants this, servants that, servants that. So he sends servants, tell them to come, and they wouldn't come. And then in verse 4, he said, then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered, and everything was ready. Uh, Come to the wedding banquet. Verse 5, but they paid no attention, and they went off, one to his field, another to his business. They couldn't be bothered. They couldn't be bothered with the things of God. And let me give you a little bit of a warning. Make sure you prioritize God in your life. Make sure you prioritize going to church in your life. Now we've never been one of these churches that sends people to hell because they don't come to church every Sunday. Look, we understand you have days off and you got times with family and all this kind of stuff. Look, you're going on vacation, you go somewhere nice, have a great, if you're going someplace really nice, invite me and we'll go together, all right? So that's fine, but generally speaking, you should come to church. A lot of people just come to church as long as there's nothing else to do. That's not a priority, you know? If the weather's nice, usually the attendance drops like a rock around here, all right? People ask me all over the world, how many people go to your church? I always say, it depends on the weather. Uh, when the weather's bad, they come. When the weather's good, they tend not to come. I mean, I get it, but you know, the good news is we live in Wisconsin, and the weather's almost always bad, so... Uh, So people come but you know pay attention make sure you make church a priority in your life don't let the weather or whatever else be more important and you parents who are raising children remember children don't listen to what you say they watch what you do and if you're the kind of family that something's always more important than church a sporting event this, that cousins, uncles weather camping whatever else uh, you're really setting a bad example okay make sure you prioritize the kingdom of God in your life these people would have none of it. They had things they had to do, interests they were to take care of. They didn't want to go to the wedding. Well then, more servants come, verse 6, and they seized the servants then and they mistreated them and killed them. Uh, Now, and then he says the next thing, the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Now let me give you an analogy of what Jesus is talking about. They knew what he was talking about. Jesus is giving an analogy in a story of the entire Old Testament. Uh, you want to know what the Old Testament is about? It's a really long read. Let me give you the Cliff Notes version. This is a really short version of it. The beginning of the Old Testament starts with where we came from. And it's really trying to show where faith came from in the earth and and, and the line of the Messiah and stuff. Very little, you know, in the heavens God created, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Doesn't really say much about it. People argue about it all the time. What do you think, Pastor? I wasn't there. All right, but the Bible leaves such small details about it. Obviously, it's not a big deal to them. That's not what the point of it is. God created the heavens and earth, straight up. God did it. How exactly it was done is just a a, a ridiculous argument at this point. That wasn't of great importance. Then it goes and it starts to show the line since Adam of the Messiah. It gets to Abraham. Now it starts spends a lot of time. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then how Joseph winds up in Egypt, and how the Israelites all wind up in Egypt. They wind up as slaves for 400 years building the, uh, you know, uh, pyramids for the Pharaohs and all the stuff. Great wealth came to the Pharaohs because they had an entire nation of slaves who worked for no compensation, and uh, they had no freedom. They were miserable. That's a whole first part, first fat part of your Bible reading about all this, and then Moses comes along. Moses says, let my people go! And Pharaoh said, I don't want to let them go. He didn't want to let him go. He had all these slaves, man. Why would you let him go? One plague after another. Finally, the Pharaoh relented. The people come out. They go into the wilderness. They get the Ten Commandments. That's where the rules and laws of God come from. And then they go into the Promised Land and they take over. Now they've got the Promised Land. Then you get to the next part of the Bible, which is the fatter part. This is the history of what happens from that point on. You see it in First and Second Kings, or First and Second Chronicles, same events, just different sets of eyes recording in. Both of them are in the Bible. Showing what happened over those next, and then you have all these prophets warning them about what happened. The Old Testament, in a nutshell, is this. God brings them to the promised land. If you'll honor me, I'll bless you. If you don't, you're going to have problems. Well, they didn't. They didn't honor God. They were a disaster. These people were evil, evil. I'm not talking about people who are grumpy because they didn't get their coffee in the morning. I'm talking evil, evil, evil. They did things, sexual things, enough to make a person vomit. If you want to get gross out, read these people. They sacrificed their own children to these pagan gods. We're talking the Jews, religious people, the people who came out of Egypt Moses, the Ten Commandments, all these miracles, man in the wilderness, all these people—they turned their back on God, and God kept sending them prophets and warning them, "You better stop it, or I am going to destroy your nation." And he kept warning, "I'm going to kill you if you—I'm going to kill you if you don't." And you read it, and it's a really long read. Halfway through, I'm thinking, "Just kill him already! What's taking so long? You know, I'd have killed him a long time ago." Which shows one thing. God is very patient. You think God's mad at you because you have an anger issue that you haven't gotten over yet? Just relax, okay? You think God's impatient with you? Go read 1st and 2nd Kings. You'll feel like a saint, alright? So finally, after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of this insanity, God says, I've had it. And He finally sends the Babylonian army comes in, destroys everything it's a bloodbath, destroys the entire nation. And a small remnant of them survive, and they're taken into Babylonian captivity. Then after 70 years, they come back, and they start to rebuild the nation. That's the last thinner part of the Old Testament. Brings us up to the birth of Jesus. They come back. Now, since that time, when the Babylonians came in, they had no control over their lives. They were always under the thumb of some nation. Uh, The Babylonians, and eventually when Jesus is born, they're under the thumb of the The Romans, the Romans were there. The Romans eventually destroyed Jerusalem uh, 70 years or something after uh, Jesus was crucified. Uh, uh, The Romans destroyed everything. And they were scattered throughout the world. The Jews, since the time of the Babylonian captivity, have not held their own land and their own destiny until 1948. That was a major deal. Now the Jews are in Israel. That's why you hear so much about people talking about these are the last days. And we believe all of this is coming to an end. You say, when is it going to come to an end, Pastor? I don't know. Nobody knows. But these are the last days. Okay? Now, the last days, comparatively, could be 300 years. I don't know. It could be five years. It could be the day after tomorrow. All I know is all of this is coming to an end. They are back. And after all those thousands of years, now they have their own Uh, All the stuff that happens in the Middle East is a big deal in terms of biblical prophecy. So anyway, Jesus is telling them this story. We invited you. You kept saying no. We sent more and more prophets. You killed them. They mistreated it. Finally, God sent, or according to the story, the king sent and destroyed the city. And then uh, verse 8. Jesus said, then he says to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Again, he's talking to these Pharisees. They did not want to come, they were rejecting him as Messiah. They didn't want to have anything to do with the Christian message. And, uh, So he says to his servants, go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. This is Jesus prophesying about what's going to happen. Christianity is coming. And after he was raised from the dead and the gospel went into all the world, they went and they invited everybody. This is a huge change in the prophecy. Uh, the uh, preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anybody, everybody can get in on this deal. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter if you're a slave, free, Roman, under the Roman Empire. It didn't matter. Everybody could come in. This was a big deal. Up until this point, if you wanted to know Jehovah, you had to become a Jew. You had to be circumcised. You had to obey all the rules and and stuff. To this day, if you want to become a Jew, it's a big stinking deal. All right? In fact, most religions of this. You want to become a Muslim? It's a big stinking deal. You got to go through all kinds of stuff. You want to become a Buddhist? All you got to learn and study, you know, all in an attempt that they could try and find God. The beauty of Christianity is you can come right now, right here today, and experience God and be dumb as a brick and don't know anything. That's the beauty of Christianity, <laughs> right? That's why Christianity spread like crazy throughout the world. When they started going into the Roman Empire and all the pagan countries, and they started saying, you can experience God right now. Well, what do I got to do? Believe. What else? That's pretty much it. What? This is incredible. They didn't have to buy it. It didn't matter what their standard was in life. That's why they latched on to Christianity like crazy. And they were experiencing God in their lives, even though they had to first experience God and then start learning. And it was amazing. This is his story. This is what he's saying. They went out and he invited everybody. But in the gathering of everybody, there are people who get gathered in who really aren't part of the deal. Jesus talked about this in other parables. He said, it's like the wheat and the weeds growing together. And uh, you won't know until the harvest time, and then they'll be separated. And he tells versions of this over and over again. And he tells it here in the next verse. He says, but when the king came in, he's at the big thing, the final day, the big wedding hall, all these people. He fills the place with anybody who wanted to come. But he comes in to see the guests, and he notices a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He wasn't properly attired. And uh, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. There is a day coming hear my words, there is a day coming we will all stand before God. And there's going to be a lot of people who spent their whole lives in and around churches, part of the whole Christian community, but they will get before God on that day and he's going to look and say, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And you're going to be speechless. These are people who've never truly surrendered their hearts to God. Christianity is so wonderful, everybody, anybody can come in. There is the bar to get into this place. You can't get any lower. (laughs) Anybody can come in. That's the beauty of it. But he warns in that there will be people in and amongst us who, despite it all, still won't get this. I challenge you this morning, you listening to me, where are you at with God in your life? Well, I go to church a lot. (laughs) It takes more than that. You need to truly surrender your heart to Christ to be born again and to know God. You young people who are listening to me, you know, you were ra- you've been raised in the church. Your parents are Christians. Your grandma and grandpa were Christians. Everybody you know is Christian. Don't think that because you're raised in a Christian home that you're a Christian. You're no, lo- no more, being raised in a Christian home no more makes you a Christian than sleeping in the garage turns you into a car. You have to to come to know God yourself. Every man, every woman, every child has to totally surrender their lives to Jesus Christ so that they can be born again and truly experience this glorious thing. It's a scary thing. Anyway, the guy was speechless, and the king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You don't want that to be you. And in verse 14, he said, many are invited, but few are chosen. And that was his parable. The good news again, everybody, anybody can come. There's no, it doesn't matter what you've done. You say, pastor, I've been a horrible person. I've done this. It doesn't matter. Anybody can come and experience God in their lives, experience forgiveness, and truly know God. But there's a difference between a person who's truly surrendered his life and a poser who looks and sounds like he's saying the right thing, but he knows. The only one who knows. It's not our job to decide who is and who isn't. That's where you're not supposed to judge. We don't know. You know, and God knows. And sadly, it won't be until that day that a lot of the posers, well, all the posers will be revealed. Let me ask you a question. Are you really understanding this? Have you truly surrendered to Christ? Your campus pastor is about to uh, uh, serve communion and given an opportunity to pray and truly surrender your life to Christ. And by the way, just because you pray that prayer, some of you could pray the prayer for years, you still haven't surrendered. You know you haven't. You're still hanging on to every sin and bitterness and anger and unforgiveness you can possibly think of. You need to get this right. You need to let go and let God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Father, number one, help us to walk in forgiveness and help us to walk in love. Help us to be people of love who don't keep track of records. And we won't find ourselves starving spiritually because we can't stand those who are trying to feed us. Help us to love and not to keep records of wrong. And Lord, thank you for this glorious good news that anybody who wants to come can come. But Lord, help us to be the real deal. Help us to take this seriously. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. God bless you. Amen.